I'm excited to introduce our next guest, who is not just an exemplary young military officer, but is also an extraordinary young woman who's led by example. She joined the Army in 2005, served as an enlisted NCO. She's completed four military deployments, two to Iraq, one to Kuwait, and one to Afghanistan. She took the endeavor of going green to gold and commissioned in the United States Army. She's earned a bachelor's in business management. She served as a platoon leader in XO and adjutant to the brigade commander. She's heading to the captain's career course in order to get her uh, qualification to hopefully hold company command here pretty soon. And above all, she's also a wife and a mother to two amazing kids. She's an extraordinary person. Her name is Pauline Johnson, and we're really, really excited to have her on the show so we can talk about overcoming self-limiting belief. And I just can't think of a better person to have on board to talk about this. Not your average operator. Not your average operator. Not your average operator. Welcome back to another episode of Not Your Average Operator with me, Paul Mellon McFadden. Sitting here in the Middle East, we've got uh, Mike and Raf as ever. And uh, you just got a nice little intro there to, to Raf's sister-in-law, Pauline. How are you going, Pauline? Hey, I'm doing all right. How's your week been? It's been interesting. Uh, this weekend, I butchered some turkeys with the kids and um, getting ready to um, pack up and head out to captain's career course. I leave here in about a week. So just trying to close up some loose ends for the family before I head out. Awesome. So, uh, you know, joining us from Kansas, uh, good to have you aboard. How you going there, Raf? I'm good, man. I did not butcher turkeys. So probably didn't have as good as a weekend as Pauline did. But um, I've actually been living vicariously through all these videos that uh, Mama Jay's been sending me. Uh, the family is out at uh, Priest Lake living it up. And Soren has got his little pirate legs on. So he's out there terrorizing the lake, Priest Lake. It's been, it's been pretty cool. That is a beautiful spot. I'm super grateful that I visited. So I sort of know both of your in-laws. And Mike, how you going there, buddy? Hey, buddy. Uh, I'm going. I'm doing really well, man. Uh, just for the record, the only thing Raph has been butchering are jokes because they've just been terrible. So he, <laughs> he has been busy this week just doing that. But other than that, it, it's 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 really good. We're we're actually getting a nice uh, tropical storm coming up the east coast here, so people are kind of prepping for that. And uh, you know, we'll see what happens, man. Get get froggy. And for Mike and Raph. Uh... My son, Michael, over there in uh, South Australia, he's been hitting a rugby pitch and he wanted to pass on to, he calls you guys T.O. Raff and Mr. Mike. He wanted to let you know that he'd had a really good game yesterday. They got a hard-fought win against a big Polynesian team uh, there in South Australia. They just won by two points. It was like the final kick, sort of won it for him. And Michael drilled a couple of boys who were about double his weight. So he wanted you guys to both know that. Well, you tell Michael I'm very proud of him, man. That's awesome. Is there, uh, by any chance, did Chaz take any footage of it? <clears throat> There's, I haven't seen any quality footage. I've seen a bit of like aunt, her aunt, who doesn't really get rugby, taking some footage. So it's, it's a little erratic, still good, you know. Thanks, shout out to Arnie Marie. Okay, so uh, as you heard in the intro, we're uh, discussing today uh, another sort of insight we're trying to garner here from our collective experience about you know, how we can improve ourselves, that sort of journey we're all taking together. 
And the topic we're covering today is overturning a limiting self-belief. And what does that mean? It's, it's normally something you've held onto from childhood, perhaps a, uh, it could have been something you came up with in your own. It could have been Im- implanted into you by a, an adult. It could have been a parent or a teacher. And this belief has been something that's held you back. And overturning that belief has really opened up a whole range of possibilities and uh, success in your life. So uh, to kick us off to today, Raf, have you overturned some limiting self-beliefs, mate? So the, uh, I would say the, the two most prominent limiting self-beliefs that I've had that I've really had to overcome, uh, the first one, it's, and both are pretty near and dear to my heart. The first one is actually when I found out that uh, Aubrey and I were going to be parents. I actually had the impending feeling that I was going to be a terrible father. And that really, really scared me. Um, it scared me for obvious reasons that, you know, everybody knows life is hard enough. There's enough challenges. There's, you know, there's just, there's so much unforeseen stuff that can come at us. Uh, some people crumble under the pressure of life. Other people succeed. So I just, I had a genuine heartfelt fear that I wouldn't be, again, I, I think I, I kind of knew that I would be an okay dad, but I want to be a great father, right? I don't want to be mediocre. Like I, I would accept mediocrity with anything else in my life except being a father. And I just didn't think that I was equipped to be, and this is me completely being honest. And that was genuine fear. Like I'm talking up at night, couldn't sleep well, kept these thoughts to myself because I didn't want to scare and I didn't want to alarm Aubrey. Um, yeah, th- this was genuine. And it, a lot of it had to just, it, you know, when I, once I had unpackaged it, um, it really just had to do with my own childhood and not, that my dad was terrible, but my dad had his own, has own faults, right? And now that I'm older, and even when I was a younger man, there's a lot that I wish my, my dad had done with me that he didn't. And so I was afraid that I was gonna kind of repeat that, that, that process. Um, so that was a significant milestone for me to overcome. Um, and believe it or not, the way I ended up overcoming it was by being very aware of my own shortcomings, by being aware of my own shortcomings in terms of my experiences as, as uh, between my, my father and I, and just some of the other relationships that I had with older men, the person that I lean on the most to actually get to the place where I think that I've, again, I haven't arrived, but I think that now I feel like I'm better equipped is my wife. Because my wife, Aubrey, she is actually one of the most extraordinary mothers I've ever witnessed um, just seeing her with with Soren the way she has like she has like a real she has a really like high degree of foresight um, <laughs> like just a quick story a lot of times I'll come home and there's like a new gadget sitting in the living room and there's always a banter between her and I you know I'm like ah oh, great how much did that cost and you know I'm always kind of jazzing her about the cost but she doesn't look at it as, as the, you know, obviously there's some level of money that, that was used for it, but really she's looking at the value that Soren is going gonna, is gonna to gain, right, uh, and helping him evolve. And, I, and I, I'm so short-sighted in that. I don't see that until like literally a day or two later when he's playing with it or he's using it or whatever it is, then I start to realize like, ah, that's what she was thinking about. She was thinking about how it was going to help him progress. Um, one of the things that she bought him was this little push cart thing. And I just thought it was, you know, it's got all these little funky gadgets and, and what have you. And it's just one of those cute little toys. But because of that little cart, 
that boy was walking within like a week of him having it. I mean, literally he was terrorizing the house and people were really, people who have children were surprised how quickly he was walking and not just walking. I mean, he, he was like, you know, turning corners on, on rails. It was, it was pretty impressive, but just, you know, that's just a little example, but um, watching her being around her kind of taking notes without even knowing that I'm taking notes, it actually gave me the confidence to know that I have what it takes to be a great father. And I've been able to kind of on my own terms, kind of rise to the occasion. Raf, when, when during the, was it during the pregnancy that this sort of limiting self-belief arose for you? Absolutely. Because once I started to see Aubrey with her little belly, um, the, the realization that he was on his way. Right. And then the conversations about, we need cribs, we need this. I mean, it's just, Financially, that's, that can be overwhelming. And mind you, this is when I transitioned. I was transitioning from the military, from active duty, retiring, and I'm going to the airlines. But I was flying for an airline that wasn't paying top dollar. So, you know, everybody knows the first year, whether you're with Delta or, or regional, the first year is just garbage. So there's real financial demand when you bring a child into this world, right? Now, luckily, the Johnsons are an amazing tribe, and they really know how to circle the wagons. So, I mean... We had, uh, like, for instance, her sister Pauline gave us a crib. Her mom got us, like, a little changing table. All these things that, again, I would never even think about, that they just completely help um, kind of create, I guess you can say, Soren's little nest in his room. Uh, but, it, it, again, it was, uh, it, it was pretty extraordinary to watch these amazing women. And I was able to kind of really, really garner and kind of extrapolate or glean, if you will, some, some foresight but also some, some strength and knowing that I could be a great parent. And then, and then the second one, again, is really near, to, near and dear to my heart, is being a great husband, which I struggled with, I would say, for the first half of my marriage. And, you know, not to throw out excuses, but I, I kind of did the math. Um, we we're married for at least eight years of my active duty service, and then the last two years since then, I've been retired, but in those eight years, I was gone well over five years. I was actually gone almost six years, which anybody who's in the military or, in, or a profession that's very similar to this knows the struggles are real, right? Because it's, you, could be, you could be getting in a fight over absolutely nothing on a Thursday, but then, but then you're gone for a week, a month, maybe even a year, and we know how that can complicate things. But we, um, yeah, it, the struggle was real. I mean, we genuinely had a difficult time kind of reaching the place and the status that we wanted to get. And unfortunately for me and her, I kind of had resigned to the idea that divorce was us was imminent. And it was just, it was a matter of time. Right. And so when you live with that impending feeling like now it's just a matter of time and you resign to it, it's not that you stop trying, but you're just, you're kind of just expecting the fact that it is what it is. Right. Um, and I'm not, I'm not telling people to take that route. I'm just saying that was just a reality for me. Uh, but it, it definitely, it, it just, it, it caused me to, it, a couple things. While we were struggling, we both were trying to, to help our marriage out. But I think communication for us, just like most marriages, was probably the toughest uh, thing to kind of uh, grasp. And unfortunately for me, uh, one of the suggestions she had given me 
early in our marriage was to read the five love languages, which like an idiot, I didn't do it. It wasn't until years, years later that I finally did. And of course, once I opened the pages, I was like, ah, like light bulbs started going off. Like realizing, oh, that's right. Go ahead, Mike. Why? <clears throat> I'm just curious. Why didn't you read it? Stubbornness. I thought I knew better. And I, I wanted to seek counsel my own way. I wanted to find the answers in, in my own my own route. It's just, again, stubbornness. Okay. Um, it, it wasn't until years later somebody else had suggested it, and I was like, oh, <laughs> there's actually quite a, a lot of pearls of wisdom in this. But anyways, I'll, I'll shorten this up. So we had our, our struggle, and it wasn't in, it, the, the moment that I turned the corner was when I finally had stopped and taken accountability, not just for my own actions, but for hers as well, right? Because she was kind of reacting to the things that I was putting on the table. So when I actually stopped and realized and kind of took accountability and really, really started to look in that, you know, quote unquote mirror, uh, which is really just, just so you know, man, it's a really difficult thing to do. I mean, it's, it's a dark place, especially if you're, if you've made a lot of mistakes, but I think that was the beginning of the end for us. Meaning that was when we really started to come around. And then with that, I also, started to respect her and not just by saying it but by actually doing things to show that i respect her not just to her but to myself and usually doing that comes with quite a bit of sacrifice and again it's um it's sacrifice that you know it's that you're usually willing to do right uh, a, a quick example would be if soren wakes up early in the morning i'll get up so she can continue to sleep because you know maybe she had a long day or she went to work or maybe she didn't it doesn't matter the point is i would make it a point I tell her to go back to bed and I would go wake up with Soren, right? Just, just to show her like, Hey man, it, I'm willing to sacrifice to, to show you respect, not just talk about it. Um, it. I might have a busy day working around the property, working around the house. And when she comes home from work or she comes home from whatever, I'll make sure that dinner's ready. Even if it's absolute chaotic day. Again, that's the difference between just telling somebody that you love them versus like showing them that you love them. And I realized that just doing little things like that um, really helped us, Kind of solidify our respect for one another so uh and then and i'll the last point i'd like to say in you know this is kind of a an un this is kind of a dark subject so i won't tap into it too much but the other one is um i was never big into pornography like it was never my thing but i would say a couple years into my marriage i started i just call it dabbling um i started watching it remember i went from never watching it in my life to starting to watching it from time to time and it, it only brought problems in, into my marriage, right? And there's enough data. There's Dr. Jordan Peterson. There's, you know, there's TED Talks on this. I mean, it's just, just know that it completely dehumanized and it robs you of, of, um, of intimacy, right? Which is, what, which is what marriage is built on. So, I, you know, I kind of learned through my own mistakes. But anyways, that, that would probably be the, I'd say those are the three significant points, although there's a lot of other variables. But I would say if you just control those three, you're usually, you know, you tend to go off in a, in a better, in a better direction. So anyways, just a, a quick recap for me. I it was able to reach a better position in father in fatherhood by actually taking an example from, uh, from my wife who was immediately next to me and just witnessing her own amazingness. And it kind of gave me the strength and it kind of gave me um, kind of a pattern to follow. And then in terms of being a, a better husband, uh, I absolutely took accountability for our faults as, as a couple. And I think that once I did that, I was, I was 
done making excuses because that's really all it was, right? Most of our fights, it was always an excuse. It was, it was easy to blame her. But once you own everything, it's really hard to throw a stone. Uh, two, communication is a big piece. I swear by the five love languages. I, I mean, I wish I'd done it a lot sooner as a younger guy, not just in my, in my marriage, but as a, as a younger person dating women before her. And then uh, stay away from pornography. There's really, people will debate good or bad, but I think it definitely is more on the bad side uh, and it robs of intimacy and it obviously dehumanizes people as well. But, uh, and again, that can be debated. Ralph, thanks so much for that, man. Like, I think there's probably like 99% of men when they see their wife pregnant have that first uh, realization or fear or limiting belief of I'm going to be a bad dad. And I, I really, what you've said around your, with the marriage, like if you're 50% in, that's a divorce. You know, a 50-50 split of a marriage is called a divorce. You've got, each person's got to be 100%. So I, I really appreciate what you said there. Great. All right. So over to Kansas State, we've got Pauline. What are your techniques or methods that you've used to overturn limiting self-beliefs? So Paul, I have a couple that I have here listed and I just kind of wanted to go through what the idea is and kind of give a very short example. Um, the first one that I have is find a coach who keeps it real with you. And what I mean by that is a good coach will tell you when you're screwing things up, but they will also be cheering you on when you're doing a good job. And, and even if you're not doing a good job, a good coach knows and they're watching you and they know if you're trying, they know if you're giving it, if you're giving it your all. And um, a, a good example of that, um, I've watched my kids do wrestling. My daughter's done wrestling and my son has done wrestling. And when you're a parent and, and you've never really been a part of sports, uh, you show up to the matches and there's a, a ton of kids. I mean, hundreds. It's such a big sport here in Kansas. And you can see on a kid's face um, when they're losing and they know it. You could just see it on their face. And wrestling is just one of those sports that you can lose. But if you get yourself in a position to turn it around, you could be complete. You could be 6-0 and, and, and you can still go for a pin and you can still win. So I've seen that with my kids and I've seen that with their coaches. And unfortunately, my daughter hasn't been, you know, represented highly um, with wrestling as a female and the only girl on the team. It's been a difficult thing for her. And my husband has had a few conversations with her um, where he's pulled her to the side and said, hey, look, um, you know, I know better. I know you didn't give it your all. But he's also been you know, there with her when she cried and he's cried with her when she's lost because he did see that she gave her her all. And, um, that's really kind of, you got to find a good coach and Jake as a parent, you know, he sees himself as, as the main coach in our kids' lives and it's our responsibility and kids don't always get a coach. Um, but as a young adult, you have the opportunity to seek a coach and that's kind of what I did, you know, when I joined uh, basic training, I, you know, I didn't know what kind of coaches I was going to get, what kind of drill sergeants. Um, but when I showed up, I had, you know, all these drill sergeants, they're yelling at you, you know, like, hurry up, run, run. <laughs> and I just remember my most favorite coach or my favorite drill sergeant, um, I, we would be running on this track and we'd be doing 30 60s. 
And he would just be cheering me on. He knew that I had a daughter that was a year old and he knew her name. I mean, he knew everything about me. And he would say, you know, come on, Johnson, like do it for Paula, do it for your daughter. And it just really like pushed me. Like he found what motivated me and he just pushed me. Like he just drove it into the ground. Like you can do this. And that's what a good coach is going to do. Um, so I would say that that's the first step is, you know, as a young adult, you got to go, you got to find a coach. My second one here is to face your fears and do something that you've avoided. Um, because as long as you tell yourself that you can't do something, that will be your limiting factor. Um, you allowing yourself to believe something and then proving that to yourself. And my example for that is um, when I was in ROTC, I had to do a swim test and I was about 30 years old. I was very, very scared of the water. I just didn't even want the water to touch my face. I felt like if it's touching my face, I'm, I'm going to drown. Um, so I always just avoided swimming, you know, until it like came up on me and, and I had to learn it. I was forced to do it or else I was going to fail the program. And you just start small. You know, I didn't have to jump into like an ocean with, you know, a bunch of sea monsters or anything crazy. Um, you just, you go out there. We, Jake took me to the pool and um, again, a great coach. And he said, okay, we're going to swim in the shallow end and you're not going to be in your full kit, your full uniform, like the test. We're just going to start, start slow. And of course, the first thing I do when I get in the water is I think that I have to like move my hands super fast. And that's of course, making me like sink to the bottom. <laughs> and um, so he taught me how to kind of take it slow. I mean, face your fears, but it doesn't mean you have to jump off a cliff. You know, you just one step at a time and slowly progress. It's that one step that gets you where you want to be. My third one here is finding- right, I just want to jump in there, Pauline. Just, just to confirm, did you learn to swim as an adult 30-year-old undergoing ROTC for an army swim test? Yes, that's correct. Yes. So you didn't, you didn't learn recreationally. It was to get in and to do something really hard with a group of people, with some people sinking to the bottom of the pool and getting fished out by the drill sergeants, et cetera. Absolutely. Right? Yes. So, and it's not just what probably most of your listeners are going to imagine. It's not like okay, you guys are going to just swim across the pool. And if you can swim, you're good to go. It's you do a five minute tread, you do a 10 minute swim and you're in the pool with probably a hundred other students. Half of them can swim and half can't. So they're, you know, grabbing onto your uniform and trying to grab onto the side and water is splashing everywhere. Um, once you pass that portion of the swim, you have to, you have a dummy rifle and you swim across the pool and that dummy rifle can't touch the water at all. So you have it above your head as you're swimming with like one arm, you know. Um, once you get across the pool, then you put your, um, your vest on and you have to jump into, you have to dive, pencil dive into the water, get the vest off underwater and then pop back up to the top. And if you're still connected to this vest, you failed that test. And then finally, the, the kicker here that I was not expecting was the high dive. So they blindfold you, 
you're at the top of the high dive and you have this dummy rifle like right out in front of you and you have to walk across this diving board while somebody's kind of like poking and prodding you like inching you slowly and you're just like sweating you know if you're afraid of the water like this is some scary stuff here and you just you just one two three jump you know and you hit the water you throw that rifle to the side and you swim across and you say thank god i'm done man like that was rough <laughs> i just want to jump in and just say that you know just listening to the story i i can really i really respect you pushing yourself to go through there i have a very intimate relationship with the water i don't fear it but i sure respect it now that i've uh had a lot of experience in the water and uh you know and it's, it's not a you know it's not a uh hey you're you're better thing but i know plenty of grown men who would never even attempt that test who were are either too stubborn as raf has, has kind of said or their masculinity or their ego gets in the way where they're like i don't even want to get in there because i know i'm going to fail yet here's a 30 year old woman that's jumping in facing your fears and just going through you know there's fear on the land where you have anxiety and you can but you can breathe when you're underwater and that's taken from you it's a whole nother layer so i just think that's an amazing story thank you i appreciate I'm just, that i'm curious uh pauline what do you remember your thoughts as you're walking across the uh the diving board <laughs> honestly the negative thoughts that usually come to my mind is i can't do this you know, even going back to basic training, um, when I would call back home and Jake would answer the phone, I would say, I can't do this. And I would be crying. And at this moment, you know, I couldn't cry. I had a lot of peers and I was already an NCO in the military. And I just, I had to learn how to hold that in a little bit, but the thoughts are still in my head. Like, I can't do this. I can't do this. But at the same time, it's almost like you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. And so it's like that conflict inside your head you know it's bouncing back and forth so uh, did, uh, go ahead Russ. So, so did you think that uh you didn't have a choice because you're there with your peers and it's almost like you know that kind of military mentality where i, I can't let them down even though you're like i know i'm not good at this i can't let them absolutely. down so i'm gonna i'm gonna drag myself across the finish, <laughs> the finish line yeah absolutely yeah i just want to give a, a a shout out to uh to your husband jake uh, he sounds like an amazing guy, and if I'm, I, I don't really know him, but it sounds like he's experienced plenty of his own adversity and was able to be present and be willing to call you and talk to you and spend that time when you're calling him crying or whatever, being like, I can't do this, and he's just being that rock for you to be like, I know you, I know who you are, and you can, just having that having that ability to do that is uh very strong and masculine of him and i just want to give a shout out to jake and say great job dude i i appreciate that um i think just to kind of add on to your compliment the thing about the johnsons and and particularly jake because he is my husband um the johnsons will go and they will try anything and you would think that they didn't have any sort of fear but Jake and even his brother and, and his sisters, when I've talked to them, you know, they, they talk about having like similar thoughts. And that was kind of eye opening to me because I look at them and I think, you guys look so confident when you're doing things. You don't look like you're scared of anything. 
but but they are and they're just better practiced at facing those fears Yeah, I, I can attest to what Pauline said because I'm part of the Johnson clan now. Uh, <laughs> th there are a bunch of savages. Right, Pauline. What's your uh, third point, Pauline? So my, um, so I was talking about uh, finding a peer and a teammate to train with, and I would say with that swim example, Jake was definitely he's always been my teammate, and he's always trained with me. And when you have when you have a leader who not only says, oh, I've done that before, but they're actually there with you and, and they're like leading, you know, it could be a ruck march or, you know, in Raf's case with Aubrey being a parent, um, it's, it's finding that peer, that teammate, so that you constantly have this like push pull because there's going to be things that you're better at that maybe you don't realize you're kind of helping lead them in, in ways as well. And so you got to find that teammate who's, who's going to face those things with you, you know, and it can be a friend, it can be a sibling, you know, who you're married with. Um, but it's that positive role model that says, Hey, you know, come with me. We got this. And then, uh, last, um, the very last one we got here is accepting failure and trying again. And in that, um, there's been quite a few things I've dabbled in when it comes to sports. And I'll mention Jake, you know, again here real quick. He, uh, he has a prosthetic leg and he still uh, did boxing. And he's been part of a program to allow people to box under a USA sanctioned um, boxing match but have a physical disability and you know to see jake struggle through some of those things and and fail but do them again and again and just impress so many people it's constantly been something that i've had to think about like okay you know if i if i'm weightlifting for the very first time and i drop the bar and i you know i hurt myself i'm not i'm not dead i'm still alive you know, it, it was embarrassing. It's probably more of a pride thing. Just try again. Accept that you failed. Don't get angry. Don't tell yourself that you can't do it. Just maybe step it back a little bit. Maybe give yourself some time to think about it and go back and, and try again. So I guess just to recap, um, all my points here is finding a coach who keeps it real. They'll, they'll be honest with you facing your fears and doing something that you've avoided, finding a peer or a teammate to train with so you can face those dangers together, and accepting failure and trying again. Those are such good points, Pauline. I really, like all of them are great. That last one, I've seen that given as the actual definition of success is going from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. I reckon that's absolutely perfect. So thanks for that. And just so everyone knows, the Johnson clan up there in Washington state, I got a wall of honor in the house. And I think every single member of the family has had a uniform on at some point. And, uh, you know, a great family led by the patriarch there. It was the, uh, the bomber pilot back during the cold war, keeping the Russians at bay. Great. All right, Mike, overturning a limiting self-belief. How have you done that? Yeah. I'm going to have to go after, after her, man. Like that's, that's, that's going to be a challenge, but I'm going to fill in where I can. There, there's definitely some similarities listening to her. The first one that I had was identifying the doubt. So 
a lot of veterans, even active duty people that I've, that I've talked to and met, I get phone calls from them and they're just like, Hey man, remember that thing that I was telling you I was trying to do? And I was like, yeah, of course we talked about it for weeks. And they're like, well, I didn't do it because, and they tell me this, I don't want to say excuse, but let's be honest, it's, it's an excuse. So they're calling me to give them affirmation that it's okay to have basically, you know, half-assed it of like explaining why I didn't do it all the way. And I'm like, okay, but why are you calling me? You know, I always ask them, I'm like, why, why did you feel you had to call me to tell me this? And I, I get real open with them and I have that conversation and I tell them, I was like, you already knew why you didn't do what you did. And you break it down to that simple point of you already know why I didn't study hard enough. I didn't work out hard enough. I didn't have the discipline to wake up on time, you know, whatever it might be, you already know why. So just identifying the doubt is, is, is the first step in my mind and realizing that like, it's not everybody else. It's not the external things. It, it, it starts with me. So that's where the doubt's coming from. Most, I mean, I'd say 99% of the time. Uh, the second point that I had is be comfortable with being uncomfortable. So, I've already heard of some really good, you know, stories from Pauline and, and Raph is I think no matter what you pointed to, there's always going to be something that's going to make us uncomfortable, whether it's new, whether it's tough, that's okay, man. That means you're growing, right? If, if you sat on your comfy couch every single day, you're going to be comfy every single day, but you're not going to leave the damn couch. So yeah, I look back to me, you know, I entered the military. I was, six foot one, 173 pounds. I was a tall, skinny kid. And I'm there in selection in special operations training with dudes that are 25, 26 years old, collegiate Olympian type athletes that are just there that are monsters. Okay. Like these dudes are just monsters. And I'm sitting there on day one at four o'clock in the morning, getting my ass handed to me. And I'm going, did I just make a huge mistake? Like, I literally don't know if my body can take this punishment versus these dudes. And I was extremely uncomfortable being there. The thing that set me apart, man, was my desire to be where I wanted to be inside. And as training went on for over a year, these dudes started disappearing, would be in the middle of a hard evolution. And I mean, to the point where I felt like I was just going to pass out multiple, multiple times within that time frame, And then I would look, the instructors would stop us and reorganize our group. And they were shuffling guys around from other, from other groups because guys were quitting. And I'm looking around for a split second of like, well, who quit? And I'm like, that dude quit. Are you kidding me? Like, and then you take that quick pause and you're like, yeah, but I'm still here. Whoa, that's pretty cool. And then you move on. And then after a while, you start seeing these guys keep quitting and disappearing. It becomes like a fire. So when you hear them quit, you see them walking away. It's like this inject of fuel into your body. And you're just like, you start getting amped up, man. Like I'm getting goosebumps talking about it right now. I'll be honest with you. Um, so it's not like the failure piece, but it's still like, man, I'm, I'm taking my hits and I'm still standing. It's a great feeling. But just going on about that being, being uncomfortable is okay. Like you, if you're uncomfortable, you're growing and 
you're, you're onto something there, man. Like keep going and find out what it is. My last point, it kind of leads into that is once you're around people that are, are comfortable with being uncomfortable and are open about that, it's going to build and raps already said it, it's going to build a tribe or a culture. And those become your, your people. Those become your teammates. Those become your coworkers, your friends, your family. Uh, figure out what defines your culture, your tribe. Is it a culture that is like, okay, hey, you can show up five minutes late or you can show up without this and we'll just wave it under the rug next time, next time, you know, and gives you that leeway? Or are they going to pull you aside, best friend, you know, husband, wife, like whatever it might be, and they're going to go, hey, I care about you enough to tell, like you just, you were late or you showed up and you didn't have this. Like, what are you doing? I know you're better than that, you know, and really hold each other accountable. And that's not even off a set of rules. And I think that's what the military really, you know, instills is you have all these rules and, and, and traditions that go along and what soldier, sailor, airman, Marine doesn't break those rules, right? It's just human nature, but it's the culture within that corrects itself. If I, if I have to pull you aside and show you a piece of paper that says, see, this rule right here is why you shouldn't do that, I think that's wrong. I think you should have that feeling inside of you of being like, I can't do this because it's bigger than me. I'm part of this culture and I can't show up late. I can't show up without gear or whatever it might be because it's going to affect those around me. And that should be the primary reason why you shouldn't do something. So. Uh, just recapping real quick is limiting, you know, that, that identifying the doubt, what's your problem. I guarantee you probably know what the problem is or have a really good idea. Be comfortable with being uncomfortable. If, if you're comfortable and you're, and you're trying to be something great or achieve, you're probably in the wrong spot mentally. And then build your culture, build your tribe. Really, it really invest in it. Those people want to be around you. You want to be around them. When you fall down, they're going to grab you and pick you up. Raph and Mellon have been that for me for, you know, I've only known Mellon a few months, but Raph's been that for me for nine years. And uh, I don't know what I'd do without these guys. So uh, th those are my points. Those are great points. Could, yeah, if I could just add to what Mike said, I, I think you nailed it when you said uh, holding each other accountable. I think that's one of the biggest challenges uh, for anybody, for any group especially for someone you genuinely care about in a marriage, in a relationship, whatever it is. I think holding each other accountable is absolutely difficult. And it's, you have to tread carefully, right? Because you can really, really offend somebody. But at the same time, it's very empowering if you're both on the same sheet of music and you just, because you can just go so much further if, you, if you're both kind of, you know, willing to, to, to take real criticism, be like, oh, he's, he or she's doing this because they genuinely love me. And then you generally should be able to rise to the occasion yeah, if you're if you're if you're batting a thousand every single day and you wake up and you're in this like, oh my god, everything's perfect and like this person is just always there to support me and hug me and like whatever, really evaluate like when things get really hard or you're moving on to something that's like your your mountain, so to speak, it's like it's time to start climbing. Are these people gonna be there hugging you, being like, It's okay, it's you know, whatever? Or are they gonna be like, Hey, let's put your let's put your ruck on and we're gonna hit this together. Let's go. It's gonna suck. You're gonna hurt. I'm going to hurt. And they're just brutally honest. Like this, this is how it's going to be. You know, that's an easy choice for me, man. Like I'd rather take adversity over like, you know, the, uh, having, you know, having my cake and eat it too type thing and just being nice and comfortable the hell with that. 
Hey, I just want to say too, I really like um, how you said like finding your clan and finding the people that are, um, you're like building a family kind of, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and, and you know, just in life in general and your family life, your home life, sure. But when it comes to, you know, I, I can speak for myself and, and the soft community and special operations, like when I'm out on a mountaintop at night in the middle of nowhere in Afghanistan and that's my tribe and that's how everybody's clicking and you're just yelling, I, you almost want somebody to shoot at you. Yeah, I know that sounds messed up, but it's almost like I dare you to just come in and tick off this hornet's nest, dude. Like, because it, it's that type of drive. Like, it, it, there's something in there, but it's not just one person. It's when you're all gelling. And uh, I've talked about it before, but the, the, the theory of flow, it's called. When everybody's flowing together, man, you, you, can't, you can't stop that. It's, it's, it's a very cool feeling. Unstoppable force. Awesome. Thanks for that, Mike. All right, so my limiting self-belief, uh, like the sentence that comes up in my mind when I'm confronted with adversity has always been, I can't handle this. A little bit like uh, Pauline was saying there, I can't do this. And this has sort of come up for me, you know, from sort of childhood on. And how have I dealt with this? So my methods for dealing with this are to take stock of victories. So go back through and accumulate your victories, recognize what you've done, and find your failures and reflect and find what those points are. Sort of like what uh, has been already thrown out there around uh, identify the doubt. You know, there's you, as, Mike, as Mike said, you often already know the reason for the previous failure. So if you can accumulate these victories, make a stack of them, keep a track of them, you can, have, you can identify the failures and work on your weak points, then, then these are concrete ways that have you addressing this I can't handle it feeling. The second one is to take a high tide mark. So look at your previous stressors, like the worst incidents you've gone through and recognize that there's like a high tide mark on a, you know, like a, a jetty or a pier that's uh, showing how high the stress is that you've dealt with. And uh, when I got scrubbed off Hornets back in the day, young, young Melon at 24, that was my high tide mark. And then my daughter was born at 23 weeks and we went through our you know, sort of 13 near-death experiences in 173 days. And that was definitely like I reset that high tide mark for what can I deal with to a point beyond which uh, most, most people don't have to go. And then that was revisited when my wife had cancer in 2012. So those two near-death uh, experiences inside the family really showed me anything up to that point I can deal with. You know, I can get through that. The third one was to take that uh, view, the problem that is initially appearing as something that you can't, uh, is unsurmountable. Take a 30,000 foot view. So don't view the problem like psychologically, the way you're imagining the problem. A lot of people imagine the problem is really big and they picture themselves in their mind as really small. So put yourself at 30,000 feet, view it from above, picture yourself looking down on this problem as something small. And so, those two things there put, put things into perspective and imagine yourself as being strong and capable. And the fourth way that I've dealt with this, there's an old uh, Stoic philosophy, which are the, the Greek uh, philosophers. They would worst case scenario everything. So they would picture, you know, you're stuck in traffic and you're sort of getting rolled up about being late for whatever you're running to. You're in, it's hot. 
there you are and you're, uh, you're sort of thwarted, you're being stuck. And you can just worst case scenario that you can imagine that, you know, you've got a sick baby in the hospital that you're trying to get to and you're still stuck in the traffic. And by contrast with that worst case scenario, all of a sudden the thing that you're, uh, you know, currently stuck by or feeling you can't handle immediately becomes small and becomes something you can deal with. And for us, I saw this when uh, we're in the neonatal unit with my daughter, she was super prem, super tiny and had uh, really had a bad run. And for a long time, she was like the worst case scenario that really helped other families. So people would come in, you'd see these mums come in literally on a four legged walking stick or in a wheelchair, having had an emergency uh, cesarean section. And uh, they're just holding it together to try and get their eyes on their baby for the first time. And once they get there and they see the tubes and everything, it can be really overwhelming. And I saw a couple of these ladies, you know, faint and, uh, you know, assisted with nurses and stuff to try and help them out. And I'd sort of steer them to my daughter to see that she was half the weight or smaller than their child and that she had overcome these problems already. And I, I know she really granted a lot of hope to these families in a case where they perhaps thought they were going to lose their baby. And so despite how bad their situation was, they were able to picture something worse, which sounds like a, a sort of a negative mindset, but seeing that worst case scenario for these people in real life really helped them get a perspective on what they were really dealing with. So if you're able to apply that in your own life to the situation that you're looking at is difficult, just imagine you know, two or three, or if you're imaginative, you know, get 10 ways that that scenario could be worse. And you're going to immediately put yourself in a frame of mind of having a, an element of gratitude for the scenario you have. You know, the limitations are not as severe. Your capabilities are more than they could have been otherwise. And it puts you into a place where you're able to address this stuff with power and move forward. So to recap, my point was when faced with that, something challenging, having that initial limiting self-belief of I can't handle this. So I would go through and gather the victories, take stock of them, reflect on the failures. As Mike was saying, you already know why you failed. Take the high tide mark for your stress and recognize anything less than that you can deal with because you've already done it. View the problem from above, take that 30,000 foot view and imagine it small and you big. And the last one, as the Stoics did, worst case scenario, every situation could be worse and there's always something you can find to be grateful for. So those are my four points. You know, just real quick, I, I know we're going to wrap this up, but uh, you know, one thing, the training that I've been through is, is not a build you up training like regular boot camp is. It's constantly introducing you to failure. So we, we used to have to do timed runs and if you passed your run, you got to like run around in a circle and like cool down for a second. And then you went right in and you got what we called it. You got beat again or remediated. And what it constantly did is constantly introduce you to failure. So yes, I passed my run. I passed, I passed my swim. I passed the obstacle course. Everything's going to be great past this point. They, that's very short lived. And then they constantly redirect it. Of course, it's like very, you know, it's a puppet type thing but they, they just completely turn your perception into it's time to get hammered again. And you didn't pass anything and just constantly beat you right back down. And it's not to like mess with you. It, it will mess with you because, you know, we talked about society. If you do everything right, 
you know, then you're going to graduate. If you do your homework, you're always going to pass. But especially, you know, just in warfare, but in life as well, just because you do everything right doesn't mean that everything's going to be okay. And if you constantly train yourself to be uncomfortable, to pass something and then never arrive, and we've talked about that, but just, okay, I just broke a four-minute mile or five, you know, whatever. Great. Congratulations. Enjoy it. Living in the moment for the day and then tomorrow go for, go for 350. You know what I mean? And just keep pushing to go to that next point, man. So that's so, that's so good, Mike. Like that's, that's like Pauline's fourth point there about that accepting failure and trying again, like look, look for the failure, you know, celebrate it, try and break yourself. Awesome. All right. So uh, just to recap their RASP points, I'm going to be a terrible father <laughs> confronted with a pregnant wife, like every father in history. And he got some guidance from his wife. Look at that. Uh, and then being a great husband, you know, with facing the deployments. And uh, he addressed it with full accountability. It's not a 50-50 game. It's a 100%. And then the respect in action, not respect in intent, but like actions on the ground. Pauline had those great points around finding a coach who keeps it real with the examples of wrestling and the drill sergeant. Face your fears and do something you've avoided. And just that amazing story about taking on a swim test as an adult. Full, just picture yourself in full uniform with your boots on and a rifle uh, doing all of that. Don't picture yourself in swimwear or with uh, floaties. So that's amazing. Uh, the third one was find a peer or teammate to train with. And four, accepting failure and trying again. And just another shout out to Jake there. As uh, you know, it looks like he filled heaps of those slots. Awesome. Mike was identify the doubt, you know, and you'll have people who come trying to find agreement for their failure. And we already know why we failed. The second one was be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Growth is painful. Three was build the tribe or culture. And these people are going to hold you accountable for success. And for me, there was gather the victories and reflect on your failures. The high tide mark for stress. You the problem from above. And worst case scenario, it could always be worse. All right. So just from the three knuckle draggers here, Mike, Raff and Mellon, I really want to thank Pauline for coming on. Just so you all know, she looks like an Olympic athlete, this girl with tattoos down one sleeve and muscles are busting out. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have a, uh, a strong feminine voice on the podcast with us, Pauline. So thanks very much for coming. Hey, this has been a great opportunity for me. And, and I just, um, I really appreciate you guys inviting me and, you know, I'm, I'm starting to share my story and, and I just think it's so important for our friends and our family out there to, to hear these things from us because we are, we're all human and we all struggle through these things. So this has been great. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much. So from all of us here at Not Your Average Operator, remember hit us up on the, uh, the likes. You can send out emails to us. you got Not Your Average Mike 77, Not Your Average Raf, and Not Your Average Paul at Gmail. Gmail. We always appreciate a review and we've had some amazing feedback, guys. We really appreciate it. So until next week, Maintain the focus and see how you can overturn your limiting self-beliefs.